yeah, probably within a matter of a year, year and a half, I went from kind of starting running to run a hundred miles. And I find with ultra, everyone's just taking their time doing their thing. And there's no, there's no big rush. I really like that about ultra running. That was John Paradowski. And this is episode 42 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. John Paradowski is a runner from Regina, Saskatchewan. He describes himself as just a regular guy who's run some 100 milers, a 200 miler, and some winter ultras. John's running resume includes races such as UTMB, Fat Dog 120, Cascade Crest 100, Sulphur Springs 200, and numerous appearances at the Spruce Woods Ultra. He is a very diverse athlete who also excels at winter ultras such as Arrowhead and Discobia. John runs for Mito Canada, as it's a charity near to his heart for reasons he discusses on this episode. Most recently, on May 14th, John completed a 7,269-kilometer virtual cross-country run for Mito Canada. In this episode, he talks about how he got into running and then what drew him to trail ultra running, tells us a crazy story about his Havelina 100 experience, and credits his family for being a huge support along the way. We hope you enjoy this episode with John Paradowski. So, John, welcome to the Inspired Souls podcast. Carolyn and I are so happy to have you here with us. Awesome. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. You've actually been nominated by a few of our past podcast guests. Scott Sugamoto mentioned that you'd be a good person to have on the podcast, as well as Heidi Schmaltz. And um, when both of them speak very highly of a person and say we have to hear their stories, um, we pretty much have to hear their story. So I'm, <laughs> I'm pleased that you've agreed to join us today. And I'm really interested to get to know you a little bit more. And uh, you're running stories. So can you start by just giving ourselves and our listeners a little bit of background? Please tell us about yourself. I live in Regina, Saskatchewan. Uh, I've been here for, I guess, about uh, 20 years. Before that, I grew up in uh, Calgary, Alberta. And uh, yeah, I have a good life. I have a good life out here with my partner, Marsha. I've got one daughter, Jessalyn, my dog, Cass. I got a good job and uh, I got a great life. When one can say that, I think that's pretty much the jackpot. So that's great. So we invited you on this podcast because <laughs> it's kind of funny. You've described yourself to us as a, I don't know, I'm a pretty normal average guy, an average runner. And I kind of think most people would argue with you on that. You may think you're pretty average, but you've done some decidedly not average things in your racing and adventures. So why don't you tell us basically how you got into running and in particular trail running and then how that evolved over time? Well, years ago, I had a, I had quite a bunch of rental property and I was busy. I was busy all the time working, um, you know, going from by their place to place, lots of stress. And I remember I, I realized that I needed to do, I had to have an outlet uh, to relieve stress. And I figured, hey, running was a good way to, to do that. So running, biking, any type of activity. So I, I got involved in running that way, more for stress relief, to stay fit. So I started running. And what I found by it was I would go and, you know, I would get calls from tenants or I get calls from different people. 
you know, I would run for an hour and it was like a reprieve from, you know, the chaos of rental property. And, and then, um, you know, I'd run for two hours and then three hours and four hours. And the longer that I went, I just realized, wow, this is really great. I'm starting to, you know, almost get selfish with my time. And then the, the more that I did it, the more that I wanted uh, more time to be able to just kind of be to myself and be in nature. Um, I, I started doing kind of road marathons. I was doing trails as well, but I started doing kind of the shorter distance stuff and then slowly kind of worked my way up five, 10 K, uh, 20 K and you know, the half marathon, the marathon, 50 K 50 miles. And I started kind of increasing distances as I did this. And so in a way, I, I guess I should thank some of my tenants and I guess just my past chaotic, uh, <laughs> it, it kind of got me, pushed me into, you know, enjoying being in nature, enjoying the time to myself. And for that, I'm grateful. And, and now the more time I can get into nature, uh, the better. So do you prefer road running or trail running more than? Uh, I prefer trail. The best way I, I look at it is everyone's different. Um, you know, I still love road running as well, but I, I find that with road running, it reminds me of kind of NASCAR racing. Whereas when you go to the trail, everything just slows down a bit. Not to say speed, there's lots of fast people on trail, but I just find that the whole pace of things slows down, right? And then when you when you go from trail running and you go into ultras, the pace just even slows down further. And that's my jam. I really enjoy it. It's very, very relaxing, very healing. The interesting part about ultras that I love is, you know, you'd go from say a shorter distance where people are pushing each other aside to get that water bottle or get that little water and aid station. And I find with ultra, everyone's just taking their time doing their, their thing. And there's no, there's no big rush. And uh, I really like that about ultra running. This is so interesting because Carol and I represent two different worlds, her representing the road world, me representing the trail world. But I would say it's mm -hmm. also two different worlds in exactly what you're speaking about, the more competitive, time-focused, pace-driven world, and then the, the ultra world where, yeah, the goal is sometimes just to finish or just to be out there and just in, you know, in nature. And I'm not saying one is wrong or right. It's just two different yeah. ways of approaching running. I think we can learn from each other. <laughs> Ultra runners can sometimes pick it up a little bit and road runners can relax a little bit. You know, it can go both ways. But it's it's interesting to hear you comment on that. So over what period of time did you find you started going longer and longer? Like did this happen over 10 years, over two years? You know, when did you find your groove in the long distance world? Well, I mean I didn't uh I might have ran my first marathon in 2000. 14, 15. So I, I basically, the first bit, I, I started running five Ks and then within the year, I kind of started doing, um, 10 Ks, half marathons. And then I kind of just jumped in. I think like my first year of running, I think I ran 11 or 12 marathons. Oh my. After my first marathon, a month later, I went and ran my first, uh, 50 K powder face. And then after that, I, I think I signed up for iron legs. It did 50 miles. And then, oh. uh, yeah, the next September I was already doing hundred K and then I kind of jumped into hundred milers right away. So yeah, probably within a matter of a year, year and a half, I went from kind of starting running to running hundred milers. Wow. And so on that kind of, you know, as you found those different distances, I mean, all the way up from, it sounds like the 5k and all the road running stuff and all the way into the ultras, it has something stood out as like a favorite distance or is it more just anything on the trails? I, I like anything on the trails, you know, to be honest. Um, I think even the more that I've raced, the more that I realize sometimes just adventure in nature is great. Like, you know, go and uh, hiking in the mountains, 
you know, so, you know, I almost get the same from that that I do from racing. Um, I've just met so many friends and, you know, a lot of friends that kind of almost are like family. You like to go see these people, but, you know, I, I get the same the same feeling from um, hiking. Um, I, I really, I want to explore uh, at a different point in my life here, kind of, you know, when children are a little bit older, uh, even like through hiking stuff. Cause again, you're in nature, you're enjoying, you're getting that experience of nature at the same time as you're pushing your body. And, you know, why not go do something for a month or two months, like straight in nature, it'd be, it'd be awesome. Right. So I think it's more being in nature, enjoying that time in nature, the being able to, do something that some people can't. Um, so, you know, to be grateful, to be able to be out there to do it, but the racing, I mean, it, it brings that aspect of you get all your, you know, you can get a lot of your friends in one particular area and, you know, you, then you also have that social aspect, mm-hmm. right. You can go to a trail race Absolutely. and, you know, you can catch up with someone you haven't seen in a long time. And, you know, what better way to catch up with a friend than talk to him for eight or 10 <laughs> hours running with them. Right. <laughs> all through the night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, again, I think you've, really struck the jackpot, right? Uh, When you love the training as much as you do the racing, right? You can kind of find that gratitude and that joy in the everyday run all by yourself or the reunion with all your friends at whatever race happens to be going on. But I'm, I'm just looking at your racing resume here and it looks like you've done a lot of races some in the winter some in the the summer spring fall like all all times of the year does anything kind of stand out as a very favorite race or memorable race well there's a few of them right i mean there's like cascade crest is one in in washington i really enjoyed that one i mean the long story short on that was i was supposed to go to fat dog and in um I believe it was 2018 and it ended up getting canceled basically a week before the race because of fire. Right. So then um, just on a long shot, cause I wanted a qualifier for hard rock. I, I sent a message to the race director at Cascade Crest and it's a big uh, lottery. And um, you know, I ended up getting in on like a basically, you know, a week's notice. And I, I drove to Washington by myself and, and did it. And uh, you know, I had a great time. Like, I mean, it's one of those races. It's not really talked about a lot on, on the scene. But uh, Cascade Crest is one that if people get a chance to go there, it's all about that race. The people there love it. You know, the volunteers are, are so wonderful. And it's it's a beautiful race, right? I mean, so my favorites, I mean, there's that one. Um, you know, another one, again, the opposite will be like Arrowhead. You know, again, Arrowhead's like everyone there is the Arrowhead family. The people at Arrowhead are beautiful people. Like, like some of the toughest people um, I've ever met in the world. And some of the most honest people I've ever met in the world as well. And just just no quit type people. For our listeners that don't know where Arrowhead is or, or what it is, can you just give us a bit of background on it? Yeah, Arrowhead's uh, uh, Arrowhead's in uh, in Minnesota. It starts in International Falls, Minnesota. It's 135 miles, and uh, it's usually at the end of January. And uh, you know you can do it three ways. You can pull a sled, so human powered. Uh, you can you can bike like a fat bike, or you can uh, ski it. There's a time frame to get her done about 60 hours to get it done it's beautiful it's near elephant lake and then you you kind of plug your way all the way to fortune bay so it's uh it's gorgeous and there's so much solitude right so you you have your sleeping bag you, you kind of you bivy you sleep sleep out in the wilderness and when you're tired or just jump in your bag for a couple of minutes to kind of get fresh and and you keep going but a great race another race that people should really experience if they if they love nature I don't know about that. You'd have to really convince me (laughs) to 
do the winter, the long winter ultra. That would that would definitely take some convincing. But a little birdie told me something, John. Um, she told me that there was a race where you actually had to leave the race, go to the hospital, and you ended up coming back to the race and finishing it. Can you tell us about that one? Oh man, yeah, um, yeah. That was. Um... <laughs> That was in the desert. That was Havelina, Havelina 100 down in uh, McDougal Park, just outside of like Phoenix. I, I love Havelina 100. Again, if anyone hasn't been there, it's kind of a Halloween race out in the desert. Jamil Curry is the race director. Great race. It, it's like literally a, an ultra running party. The volunteers are spectacular. Maybe, you know, almost like second to none. Like so great. Um, they take good care of you because it's in the desert, right? So you got other particularities like the winter, right? You go out and, and there's a few loops in the desert. It's a hundred miles and j- just a funny situation. So I was running, you know what I think it was actually, I, I had actually just started running with Pam Reed. If, if you guys know Pam Reed, really nice lady. Mm, she's an ultra yes. running. I, I, she's like a legendary lady. And I was kind of, you know, joking with her. She kind of went ahead and uh, I was coming out of aid and I fell and I landed on my, on my arm and uh, I started bleeding and there was a, it was almost like a, a protrusion in my lower arm. I, I thought I actually had a fracture in my lower arm. And so when you come out of aid, there's some watching you. So the person immediately took me over. They looked at me and they called my race. So the, yeah, the race official said, Nope, you're done. You're going to the hospital. I'm like, Oh, come on, man. And I still had a, basically that and another loop to do. And I was just disappointed. Right. Like, I'm like, Oh man, you know, I'd come this way. I wanted my qualifier for, for Western States at the time. Right. And that was my last one of the year that I had a chance to do it. So they called my race. I didn't have a choice. Right. And, uh, so, um, what did I do? Um, I literally, I tried to actually sneak on and I probably something I shouldn't have, but they basically, I, mm-hmm. I was with some friends at the time. They took me to my friends. They made sure I was there. And then they made sure I got into a car to get me to the hospital in Scottsdale. So I went to the hospital. I, um, called Marsha of course. And, and then I, you know, I did all my medical stuff, the x-rays, all the stuff. See, I saw a doctor, I had to get my medical stuff approved because I was from Canada and like, just like, Oh, just wasting time. So I'm going on there. Um, <laughs> they, they came back. I went through this whole process. Finally, I got my x-ray and uh, Marsha said, John, you know, like on the phone, she's like, you may have enough time. Like it might be tight, but you might have enough time. And sure enough, the doctor came back after my x-rays and he said, there doesn't appear to be a break in your arm. I'm like, Perfect. I said, just write that on a piece of paper, on, on, a, on a piece of paper for me, sign it. Thank you very much. I looked at the nurse. She was wiping the blood off me. I was like, can you please call a cab? Meet me in emergency. Da, 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 da. They're like, okay. They came back. Um, <laughs> I met the cab emergency. And I was, this was like, over. I was maybe 30, 40 minutes from the race. So then I got in the cab. I actually probably shouldn't have been this. I, I said to the guy, I'll give you an extra like 20, 30 bucks. I said, just get me there quick. So he sped, he sped there. So he sped me back <laughs> to the race. I literally, I literally pulled right up to the race tent. So where I, where I basically, I got disqualified or I got the race got basically pulled and said, Hey, you're done. And I got out. I went to the same official that had kind of canceled my race. And I said, Hey, look at this. Like I'm back here's the note from the doctor. The doctor said that it's not broken. I want to start again. And they'd already taken my, my uh, bib and everything. Right. So I, um, I basically, uh, he's like, well, no, we canceled you. I'm like, please just ask somebody, just ask someone. And, and uh, Havelina is very organized. They all have radios. So he radioed, I don't know if he radioed Jamil or one of the officials and just said, Hey, 
I, I have John Perdowski back. Um, he has a note from the doctor and it says that, that, you know, he's, he's fine, da, 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 that he, he wants to start his race again. And all I heard on the radio is sure. Let him, let him go again if he wants to. <laughs> so I started, I started the race again and, uh, I still came in. It was like about like, I was probably gone five, six hours to the hospital, all this uh, monkeying around at the hospital. And then um, I, I came in and I still actually, I finished with about three hours before the cutoff. So it was awesome. I, I still finished wow. the race. So I still got my qualifier. This was a hundred mile race. I would say when I went to the hospital, maybe I was just over a hundred K. So, I mean, you know what it's like after a hundred K to stop, oh, yeah. to sit down, to go to the hospital, like you tighten up again. Right? So for me to start up again, it was pretty tough to, to kind of start running again, but um, it all worked out. So oh, you were so full of adrenaline of go, 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 get me back there. Oh, yeah, that's I, just I, about I, the most hardcore story I think I've ever heard. I just, I just wanted to finish the race, right? Like, I didn't want to DNF. So. Wow. Okay. So I was going to ask another question, but I've got to ask this one because you keep mentioning hard rock, qual- hard rock qualifiers. How close are you to getting in? I, I have no idea. You know, there's so many great races. Like th- those are just kind of ones that, you know, they're, they're kind of famous races that people know about, right. That are kind of interesting. Yeah. There is so many other races. So I'm just enjoying racing in general. Right. But, but eventually someday, yeah, maybe I'll get into some of those and they're pretty, they're pretty cool races. I think I'd like to try them anyways. For sure. Oh man. I mean, States, Hard Rock, UTMB, those are the iconic ones for sure. But I wanted to take a little bit of a, um, a left turn here and talk about something that you just most recently did in the COVID pandemic era. You just completed a virtual cross Canada running event where you ran the, the distance equivalent to the, the length across Canada, which was 7,269 kilometers. Um, and you ran for Mito Canada. So I have lots of questions surrounding this event. But first of all, can you just tell us a little bit about Mito and what's your connection to the charity and why you decided to, to run for them first? For sure. Yeah. Mito Canada, it started in, in Calgary, Alberta. It's a charity that helps people and families that, are, that either have family members or themselves are suffering from, from mitochondrial disease. My partner, Marsha, uh, has McArdle's disease, which is a uh, secondary mitochondrial disease. Because of that, we've been, in, we've been involved with Mito Canada for a number of years, either through charities, expos at races. And uh, basically what happened was I've always wanted to do something across Canada. And I think with COVID, it gave us a perfect opportunity. We can't really travel as much. And uh, I know that a lot of charities were, were hit really hard th- this year. So uh, what I decided to do was uh, I wanted to do uh, this project, which I called Faces of Mito. And I wanted to run across Canada virtually, and I wanted to raise awareness for mito, mitochondrial disease and, uh, and raise some funds uh, for Mito Canada. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about how you did it, because you didn't physically run across Canada. So how did you complete that virtual event? Basically, every day I ran wherever I was, whether it was trail, whether it was road, I would either track my mileage, whether it was a Garmin, and then I would also write it all down. And then... Um, the route that we picked was from Tofino to Newfoundland, mile zero, which was 7,269 kilometers. Uh, every week I would give um, updates. The crew was awesome. Catherine, Kate, Megan, Gail, Blaine, Marsha, they would, uh, she would keep track of this. And then um, th- we would find out where I was in Canada at the particular time as we were going across Canada. So um, mm-hmm. there wasn't really a particular amount of distance I wanted to do every day. It ended up being, I, I did about a half marathon a day. I started June 1st, 2020, and then 
I just finished uh, May 14th, actually 2021. So about a half marathon a day for that period of time. And then uh, as I was doing it, the Faces of Mito, um was was the project. The reason why I wanted the Faces of Mito, I didn't want this to be about me. I wanted this to be about the Faces of Mito. So what the goal was, I wanted to have a almost like a, a scrapbook of, of, of people's faces that we could go through kind of during, during the journey at the end where people in each particular region or the province I was running through was a faces of mito. So either a person suffering from mitochondrial disease or a support person, a family, a friend, someone that is connected to the mito community. And I just thought what a good way to celebrate 10 years of, uh, cause it's the 10 year anniversary of mito Canada, of mito Canada. What a way to celebrate 10 years of mito Canada with this faces of mito project. So it's something really important uh, to us and to me. And I, I'm, I'm glad I, I did it and hopefully it kind of continues, right? I, I, we're still having face, uh, different faces of Mito that we're putting online to raise awareness of different people um, and share their story. So people can either relate or people that don't know what's kind of uh, up with one of their family members that kind of, it supports them as well. Hey. Excellent. And did, did you have a fundraising goal? Like, did you, did you meet or surpass your fundraising goal or did you, were you just kind of trying to raise awareness all the way along? Well, well I, I, of course I was trying to raise awareness uh, all the way along. Um, I wanted to raise, actually, I wanted to raise, uh, it was a little bit over a hundred thousand dollars. I was the, the goal I'm at, I, I made it to 33,000 and I might be a little bit more now, but yeah, I, about $33,000 wow. is raised for Mito Canada, which is great. And hopefully some of this money can go to, uh, um, you know, uh, physician, physician education, um, um, also some website stuff, uh, helping out uh, some of the patients. Um, so I'm, I'm proud that we were able to raise, uh, I think, a substantial amount of money to, to help Mito Canada. And actually, anyone that's interested, like they can go to www.mitocanada.org. And if, if they click on uh, Team Mito Events, you'll see me or you'll see the faces of Mito. And if people are interested, they could click on there and they could see my face. They could see the story. Mm-hmm. And um, if they so wish, they can also donate. And uh, again, it's just something uh, they might want to, want to see the story and, and see what it's all about. So that's the website to go to. Well, we will definitely put that in our show notes. Yes, sure. yeah, absolutely. Sure. Thank you. If you take a glance at your your social media, you seem to have one color that you wear all the time, and that's green. <laughs> With the Mido uh, logo on it. And you are definitely a great ambassador for the charity and for um, furthering work with it. You know, I also think it's it's quite fitting that you've chosen running as a way to bring awareness to mitochondrial disease because, you know, the mitochondria are pretty important for generating energy um, and, you know, in the form of ATP, which is what we use to run. And so, absolutely. you know, a runner couldn't run without mitochondria. You're absolutely right. Yeah. You know, it's becoming more and more, um, what's the word? In, in people's front and center of their um, awareness as to um, keeping mitochondria healthy, right, for running. So yeah, and 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 most people in their life will will either experience uh, somebody in their family that that has a mitochondrial dysfunction uh, or muscle disease, uh, anything like I mean, even stuff with certain dementias. Like things are related to our mitochondrial yeah. uh, mitochondria that, that a lot of people don't realize. So most of us, it'll it'll impact all of us in our lives at some point. And that's why it's such a a good thing to do research and to find more about. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, 
You know, we, through our, our brief discussions, have discovered that um, we've been to a lot of the same races and or you've been to races that I have high on my bucket list. Just briefly, I know we both have done Fat Dog out in Manning Park, British Columbia. You've done the 120 miler. I did, quote, only the 70 miler, which was long enough for me. But that is just possibly the most beautiful place I've I've ever done a run. You may argue that Castaic Crest was more beautiful. I don't know, but tell us about your Fat Dog 120 experience. What stands out to you from that? How did it go for you out there? You know, it's interesting you you have the connection because it's it's very it's very uh, interesting how if you go north uh, from Cascade Crest, you basically run right into Fat Dog. Mm-hmm. So Cascade Crest because it follows the PCT trail, you know, it's very similar, right? So you you get up to uh, Fat Dog, you've got beautiful trails, Manning Park all through um, the wilderness, yeah, it's rugged. It's tough. There's lots of climbing. The year I did it, they added Frosty Mountain, which was kind of different. They were doing some trail maintenance. So we ended up doing Frosty Mountain and it was challenging. It was like a mountain of boulders. And uh, it's nice that it's not a real populated area. The remoteness of it was unbelievable. Yeah. You know, you talk about remote. I remember one aid station, the volunteers had to hike something like 14K in just to get to the aid station. And the water they were giving us was fresh out of the lake, filtered, but fresh and cold right out of this glacial lake. And I just remember thinking, how awesome is this? Like, this is so amazing. That race, I also remember seeing 120 milers who looked like the walking dead. And I swear (laughs) I'd never do 120 miles out on that course. So good on you for... For finishing that. You got to get out there. It's beautiful. You'd, you'd love it. It's, it's 120 miles of fun. I was actually contemplating it for this year because I need a states qualifier. And it was between CDR, Canadian Death Race, or Fat Dog. And I got into the Canadian Death Race. I sounds promising that it's going to go. So let's just cross our fingers and maybe someday I'll <laughs> be back at Fat Dog. It's certainly <laughs> a beautiful, beautiful place to go. Okay. Let's move on to another big race. My, as I've said on the podcast before, barrel of a bucket race, UTMB. Mm -hmm. So I was supposed to go last year. I actually got in this year. I've actually deferred this year because of COVID and a new job. I kills me not to go but you were there in 2017. So I want to talk about a few things with regards to UTMB. The first thing is I understand you had quite an experience there, a story about rescuing somebody on a mountain. Tell us about what happened the year that you were in Europe. Mont Blanc is a gorgeous town. And and I mean, it's pretty awe-inspiring, right? Like, you know, you're walking down, you'll see, you know, the Jim Wamsies, Killian, Emily Forsberg, all these, all these big stars. And what I always found is when you're walking up and down the streets of Mont Blanc was it makes you feel like you're out of shape. It was like, you'd walk with these men and these women would walk down and they were all almost like Greek gods and goddesses, like this unbelievably fit people. And it was really impressive, but yeah, the mountains were beautiful. Uh, it was a tough race. There was rain. There's a little bit of snow. I ended up breaking my poles and, uh, two, two actually friends from Tuscobia, uh, Helen and Chris Scotch from Oregon. We met them there and they were helping Marsha. So Helen gave me her poles cause I had, I'd snapped a pole so I, I was plugging along, but it, it was tough. It was a tough year. You know, I don't want to have any excuses, but I, uh, I think I made it to La Folie. Um, and then when I got there, um, they wouldn't let me continue. But uh, before I got there, uh, I was on a mountain. Um, and as I was kind of, I'd say, coming down, there's a section that's, it's pretty tight. The trail's tight to the edge. And uh, 
there's a Japanese fellow that kind of hit his arms out. He just kept saying, I can't see, I can't see, I can't see. And I don't know, it was almost like he was blinded or something. I, we didn't know exactly what was wrong, but he was, he was just saying he couldn't see. I was running with a Norwegian fellow. And uh, I mean, it's not, it's not good karma to pass people like that, right? You, you got to help people in trouble. And it was weird because we actually put the guy against the mountain. The Norwegian guy kind of bent over. We kind of propped this Japanese guy on his back. I kind of pushed his butt up to get on there. And I mean, again, it, it was, we didn't want to fall. So I almost kind of was holding this guy's butt as we were kind of getting to an area that was kind of safe. The one fella had communications with his phone. So they ended up, he ended up calling the, uh, the number that you have to have on your cell phone when you, when you start the race. You have to have that with you at all times, yeah. right? Yeah. We call it, there was a little shelter that was nearby. So it was probably maybe about 20 minutes, a half an hour or so. We ended up kind of taking this guy to the shelter within, you know, pretty short period of time. There were some French officials that came up to kind of help. And then um, we ended up, um, basically, they said, thank you very much. You guys can continue. We're like, okay. <laughs> so we turned around and we kind of headed back on the trails and we kind of working towards the next aid station. That's at about 100 and maybe just over 100, 109, something like that kilometers. And I came in there. And, uh, I didn't really say anything. I came in there and they basically, um, they ripped off my tag. So you have a tag with you. And they said, uh, you're finished. Mm. And I, and I might've been maybe, I don't know if I was a half an hour or maybe an hour over the cutoff. It's like, Oh, it was, it was so frustrating because I wanted to continue. I remember even saying to the guy, like, I mean, at 109, like I had to get to hundred and, uh, you know, I might've been at say 25 hours and I mean, 26, something like that hours, but the, you know, there's 48 hours. Like there's lots of time to get this done. It might've been a little bit longer, but I, all I know is for the 48 hour cutoff, I had, you know, 16, 20 hours left. Right. And, uh, I just remember saying to the guy, I'm like, Oh, I'm like, I gotta continue. Like, please like let me. And, uh, they wouldn't let me. So, I mean, when you, when you put all that effort in to go there, um, it was, it was a bit frustrating, no but I mean, kidding. at the same time, I it was great. To, it was great to help this guy. Cause I know like I'd hope someone would help me, but I remember saying to the guy, I said, look, like you can wait at the finish line with a gun. And if I don't finish, you can blow my brains out. I, I, I know it's kind of, it's kind of morbid, but I literally said to him, I said, I will finish. I will finish this race. <laughs> it's just like, honestly, trust me. Cause I'm a finisher. I'm more, I, I start kind of pluggy and then I always finish a race stronger. Right. So I knew I could do it, but uh, those were the rules, right? So the rules were what they were. and They have the rules. So I ended up, yeah. I ended up getting kind of dejected onto a bus and I went back to uh, Mont Blanc, right? But I was still proud to be able to go and, and, and do it. Um, but that's why I, I always kind of want to get back there to finish what I started because it, it really is a beautiful race. Like it, there's, there's, there's nothing really almost that I've done that it, and on a big scale, it's almost like the Olympics. It reminds you of like the Tour de France is what it does uh, of running, of ultra running. Hey, Yeah. I mean, we don't see races here in North America with that amount of people and running through town after town with people on the sides of the road cheering. And yes, I think that's one of the reasons why I'm not as upset about not going this year because when I go, I want that full experience. I don't want it to be all mm -hmm. covid proofed right like i want to no. just be in crowds of people and and enjoying it for the way it's meant to be the one thing i can say honestly about utmb is the summer before i went i worked quite a bit and i would say i worked too much um i mean i trained uh -huh. but uh the one thing i can say i, I think about my experience there is i was fit but um I ate a little bit of humble pie in terms of, you, you know, you sign up and you do a race. It's fine and dandy to go based on heart, 
but it's a race that you really got to be fit for. And that's something that that race taught me. And mm-hmm. when I go back, um, mm-hmm. I'm going to be a lot fitter than I was when I went this time. Put it that way. <laughs> Good to know. This is yeah. why I'm moving to Calgary near the Rockies where I can get yeah. more, more mountain training for races like this. So you mentioned a bit about how the gentleman you helped was in some serious trouble and, you know, you needed your cell phone and, you know, polls were an issue. And it kind of makes me think about the race that just happened in China where 21 runners died from hypothermia in a storm. You know, these races, anything can happen out there in the mountains, you know, weather can blow in in high altitude. And there's reasons why they have these, these race kits with these recommendations. You know, we kind of groan and think, Oh my goodness, I got to carry like 15 pounds of crap on my back for the entire race but you never know when you might need it right it's it's very very important it's like i know on the top of the one mountain in utmb i had two pairs of latex gloves and i had a little tiny pair of like uh i'd say a cloth style like you know little finger gloves and uh my fingers my hands were frozen i could barely hold my poles it was a snowstorm it was a blizzard up on top of this mountain and like you're talking as you're climbing it's rain and then it turns into a blizzard and then it's slippery and it's snowy and then as you start descending and then it's rain again and then you kind of get to lower elevations and that's why you need all that uh that race gear and that's why you know they take it so seriously it's really sad what happened in china because um you know i don't know all the circumstances but i know all that gear is so important for people it's sad what happened Yeah, well, it was obviously unexpected or not so many people would have been caught. But yeah, yeah, you know, I it was it was sobering to me and and also made me realize that, yeah, these these rules are in place for a reason and rather be overprepared than underprepared. We've talked a bit about how Iron Man, actually off air, sorry, you and I yesterday were chatting a bit about how Iron Man is now partnering with UTMB. They have a stake in the game. What do you think about that? I don't know. I, I guess I could use the word sellout. I hope that's not what it will be. I hope it doesn't turn into more of just kind of an over-commercialized race. Because I think the, the true roots of UTMB really are the nature and the beautiful racing in this beautiful route running through three countries and mountains. It's like, it's iconic. Right. But uh, honestly, I don't know how this will impact uh, with, with Ironman. I'm interested to find out myself, whether for the qualifying stuff too, to see like, how does this work? I hope there's not going to be uh, one particular race, which could be like, say a qualifying or, or um, a type of event like that. And then almost like a world championship race, like where it's like maybe only the professionals go Um, because I think that's what's so great about ultra running, right? Like I always find, you know, man, like, you know, if, if you line up against, uh, you know, the world's best in some of these ultra marathons, it's one of the few sports in the world that you can actually go and race in the same race, maybe not against them, but you're in the same race as, as some of these, uh, the world top athletes. And that's what makes it really cool. You know, you can participate in these events and everyone has their own levels of fitness. And, um, I don't want to see a professional race and, and then a race that's uh, for amateur people, right? Because uh, why not put it all together? The way it is, is what makes, I think, uh, ultra running so unique. You know, I mean, how often can, you know, someone play hockey with Sidney Crosby or Wayne Gretzky? And not very often. It's one of the very few sports where amateurs and professionals compete on the same level. And every now and again, you see an amateur uh, man or woman surprise and, and all of a sudden they're a top five or they go and win a race like that. And I mean... Talk about yep. something awe-inspiring, mm-hmm. right? It's inspiring to see. You see somebody show up, you have no idea who this person is, and they go and win something so so big. 
Well, yeah, over 160, 60 more than that, 170 kilometers, I think it is, in, in the Alps, anything can happen. Yeah. But, you know, it kind of makes me think about the comparison there, Carolyn, is like to Boston, right? Like, what would happen if Boston, mm-hmm. you know, all these people qualified, but then there was a sub, you know, a semifinal <laughs> and then a final. Yeah, I, I really, right. it would it would totally change not just the race, but all of the the lead up to that, all the qualifying yeah. races and all the training that people do and just the whole culture of the entire sport, I think, could yeah. change because of this. So I'm I'm interested to see what will happen and I'm I'm really wanting to go. I hope my chance isn't up. I hope now the, the qualifying race options aren't gonna reduce to like eight <laughs> or something that will uh still let me go in a year or two, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see how everything shakes out. But it's it I agree though with the with the fans and that whole experience. I think part of it is having the pros there, right? So all the fans, uh, all of the like I know Marsha was saying, like it was it was the only thing going on in all the pubs, all the pubs around were watching the race. Like when we were on the side of the mountain, it was the craziest thing I've seen. It's like, you're running on the side of a mountain. And then there's these, these helicopters would come by with big balls on the bottom. That would be like, ting, 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 taking pictures of of all the runners. Like it was amazing. It was a, it was, it was such a big event and you you never really realize how big it is until you go like how it's, it's just like, wow, this is like the only thing going on in this whole region. And, And everyone, literally everyone in the entire region, is watching this. Very, very cool. Well, I hope with this partnership with Iron Man, it retains kind of what makes it so special, like that grassroots, the amateurs and the professionals are competing together, whatever, whatever sort of makes it it, you know, I hope they can like sort of preserve the essence of that. I hope so too. Switching gears a little bit, you've mentioned your partner, Marsha, a couple of times and and how support it sounds like she's super supportive, um, crews for you sometimes, and she's involved in the Mito Canada, not on the running side, right? But she's more involved on the fundraising side and, and has mitochondrial disease herself. So talk to us a little bit about how she supports you in all of your adventures. Yeah, she's a pretty special person. You know, she's a wonderful person. You know, if there was a top crew, she would be the top crew. It's uh, unbelievable. She's able to find me in the middle of nowhere. She kind of knows what I need when I need it. Uh, she's she's such a good crew member. With Mito Canada, she's a good ambassador. She's actually the Saskatchewan team lead for Mito Canada. Oh, and oh, I mean, she's wow. such a big part of even even the Regina community. Whether it's aid stations, uh, she helps organize the Mito Spinathons here last couple of years. She's a big part of uh, Mito Canada, but she's also, I know from my perspective in my life, she she's helped me a ton in, in races. There's a lot of races that she just knows what to say at the right particular time. Well, you can count yourself very fortunate. Absolutely. It's always good to have somebody in your corner. Well, that kind of brings us to all of the questions that we had for you, but we finish, we close every episode with five rapid fire questions. We did send them to you in in (laughs) advance. Are you all ready to go with those? Sure. Awesome. Okay. Do you have a favorite mantra when you're out there doing your ultras? Well, I mean, for life, I always say it's all good is my mantra, but the one, the one that I've always done with ultra. I always said, make friends with pain and you'll never be alone. And I always said that to myself over and over and over. So you, when you're alone, just Mm. make friends. If you make friends with it, you'll be okay, Wow, that's good. So yeah, that was always my my running mantra. So what is your favorite place to run? If we could drop you anywhere on the planet right now to run, where would it be? 
anywhere in the mountains. Like I'm the mountains are my happy place. So the Rocky mountains are probably my favorite and really doesn't even necessarily matter where I just, I, I love the mountains. I love mountain trails. You know, anytime you're, you know, cresting mountains, seeing lakes down below, breathing in the fresh mountain air, I'm happy. Is there still a race on your bucket list? Oh God. So many. I always think of like Infinitus, like that, uh, the Infinitus 888 kilometer. It's uh, in um, Vermont. It's an interesting race because it's, uh, it's trails. So you're in nature, you're getting trails, you're getting some climbing. It's forest, but it's like, you know, 888 kilometers, right? And there's, I think, a 240 hour limit. So 10 days to get it done. Oh my goodness. But um, I love the, I love the page too. And for the sign up page, it always says the 8888, it goes, you will regret this. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those ones I'd eventually like to get to, right? But it's, it seems like a very low key race. And it's one of those ones that uh, for a few years I've been thinking about, it's just, you got to find the time, right? Cause you got to find 10 days that you can commit to plus traveling to go in and do this race. Right. And yeah, it's not one that you hear about talked about very often. Okay. So uh, favorite running book or movie, do you have one? Uh, well, I mean, a lot, a lot of us trail runners, I think born to run was one of those books that everyone started, but I like uh, uh, man of the trees, man of the trees, uh, Richard St. Barb Baker. So Paul Hanley is the writer. It's uh, interesting. It's a, he's like a conservationist about uh, uh, trees. So that's a good one to check out man of the trees. And for a movie, I'd say uh, I like uh, secret life of Walter Mitty. That's a good one. That's inspiring. Get out there and do something. Those are some new ones there. Yeah. Last question. Do you have a favorite post-run indulgence? Uh, I'm like a vacuum after a race, so I can I can pretty much eat as much food as possible. But I like pizza and beer a lot after a race. <laughs> Probably a pretty regular one. Sounds good. After running 200 miles, I think nobody could fault you for eating whatever you wanted. So, John, you've shared so much with us tonight, but is there any final thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with? You know, as, as people kind of go on in their running journeys, I think, I think the big thing is it's like in life in general. I think spread love, not hate. Celebrate everyone's achievements. It's not always about time. It's not always about placing. It's not always about everyone kind of labels themselves by a best or worst. And I just think the only way we can overcome that negativity is just through positivity, right? So just celebrate what people can do, right? Some people, some people's positivity is doing a 5k race. Some people's positivity is getting up to, to get food out of the fridge, right? Some people, you know, just breathing every day is, is an achievement, right? So I I say that because I think with running, I think sometimes we always label people and we, we put a lot of labels on people on like the, the elites and the, and the fast and the slow and, and I just think, uh, just celebrate everyone's uh, differences and uh, everyone's successes. Well, on that note, I I think we'll just end right there. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts, John, with us tonight. And uh, all the best in the rest of the running year. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. 